the last Sunday of the month, and so we call it Family Sunday, and therefore all of our children stay in here with us, and uh, we like to do that. We do that as a way of helping teach our children what it is to sit uh, through an entire service, uh, that they would hear the preaching, that they would hear all of the music, that they would see how we do the prayers, and that today as we take communion. Um, so this is what we do on the last Sundays of the month. It's a way also, I want to encourage you as parents, um, and even those of you who are, are here, you're helping um, our young ones to know how to listen to a sermon, how to take notes in a sermon. So I just want to encourage you as adults, you are an example today of, of how we study God's Word together. Um, and today we are, we are in a series, and it's titled, Shepherds of the Flock. And we've, we're, this is our third message in the series. The first uh, one we did was in the book of Acts, where we looked at the necessity of elders because we saw that um, there was false teaching that was coming into the church. Last week, we looked at the character of elders as we looked at 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3 and the first uh, seven verses there. And today, we're going to look at the training of an elder. How, do, how does one grow in godliness? And so, really... This sermon is, is really what we all do and how we're all supposed to live. And we're going to talk about what it means to live in godliness, to live godly lives. Um, think about that. How would you define godliness? Like, how would you do that? Someone comes up to you, your kid, your neighbor. What does it mean to live a godly life? What would, what would you say to them? Would you have an answer? Or would you kind of give them that look and say, I don't know. Uh, Jerry Bridges um, a great uh, Christian author said, Godliness is devotion in action, meaning our love for God, our devotion to God, it's that in action that other people would see our love for Him. Godliness is how we live in response to God's grace. It is a lifestyle that is only possible for those who have been saved by the grace of Jesus. So when we speak about godliness, what we're going to talk about is how we live, what we look like. One could say that to live in godliness is to live like Jesus. Um, so if we kind of maybe have a definition, godliness is to live a spirit-empowered life by the grace of God for the glory of God. It's to know that the Spirit's in you, working in you, that by God's grace, you would do the very things that please God. It is to live a Spirit-empowered life by the grace of God for the glory of God. Um, or to say it this way, godliness is to rightly respond to God as he has revealed himself in Scripture. Uh, so, God is gracious, therefore, as his children, we are gracious. You see how that works? God is patient, therefore, as his children, we are patient. It's to rightly respond. We see that God is full of wrath and envy and that he hates sin. Therefore, we hate sin and we seek to overcome sin. And so it is to rightly respond to God. It is devotion and action. It is a life empowered by the Spirit, by the grace of God, for the glory of God. And so today, um, we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 4, uh, starting in verse 6. And whether you're a new believer, an old believer, male, female, student, adult, um, this passage is how do we live a Christian life? So wherever you're at right now, and you're saying, okay, I want to grow in godliness, I want to live more like Jesus, and what does that look like? This is what this passage is going to talk about. 
At the end, we'll add some direct application for elders. Um, but what I'm going to do is just kind of preach the passage as it's meant for the entire church. And then at the end, we'll look at some direct application for elders. So to give a little context, Timothy is the pastor at the church in Ephesus. He's been struggling with false teachers. And what do false teachers do? They teach things um, opposed to the doctrine of God, and they live ungodly lives. So therefore, they're going to lead people into believing false things about God's word, into living in a way that does not please God. And so Paul writes to Timothy, and in chapter 2, he instructs the church on when you gather together, what does that look like? And we'll look at that in, I believe, two more weeks. In chapter 3, in the first half, he says, and when you appoint leaders, this is the type of godly character they're there to have. In the second part of chapter 3, we see that God is going, or that Paul says that the church's godliness, the way we live, proclaims the gospel. So the very way we live, our words and our actions, is a means of testifying of the gospel. And so now in chapter 4, Paul is going to instruct Timothy. He's like, okay, this is how you're to look in a, when you gather. This is the type of leaders that you're supposed to have. This is the whole point is that you live in a way that testifies of the gospel. This is how you grow now. Let me tell you now, how do you live such a life? So that's what we're going to look at today. Um, so I want to encourage you, we stand when we read God's word. We're going to read chapter 4, verses 6 through 16. So if you don't mind, stand, and we will read, and then afterwards we will pray. The reason we stand is because this is God's word. It is not like any other book. It comes with his full authority inspired by the Spirit. Verse 6. If you put these things before the brothers... You will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we thank you for your word. We thank you that not only do you reveal yourself, and what you have done by the grace of Jesus Christ, but that you also instruct us how to live, how to respond to you. And God, I pray that as a church today, we would see what it looks like to live a godly life, what it looks like to live like your son, Jesus. 
God, I pray that your spirit would be with us today, encouraging us, spurring us on. May we not hear this message and think, wow, I could not do that. But may we grow in confidence because your spirit is in us. And therefore, we know that we can live as you have called us to. And in your wonderful name, Jesus, amen. Did you guys just turn on lights? Got bright. Um, I, I don't have control of it today. So, um, also, we normally do questions at the end of the service. I don't think we're going to have time for that today. Uh, feel free to go ahead and text in your questions. And uh, then we have a blog up on our, our website, which... Uh, we have a new web page, too, just so you know. Um, the entire website looks differently, so I encourage you to go onto our website. You can look at that, and under resources, we have a blog, and you can go there, and uh, if you have any questions, I'll answer those this week there. Um, so I don't know that we're going to necessarily stick to the outline that you have. I kind of became aware of the time that we have um, with communion and other things that we have, so um, think of the outline in front of you as a suggestion. We might, we might follow that, we, we might not, but we'll, we'll kind of see how we go through here. Um, but we're going to first walk through, and we're going to see, Timothy, how is it that we are to grow in godliness? And then what we're going to see is, now then, how do we help others grow in godliness? So the very first thing, we talk about making disciples who make disciples, right? So the first thing we have to do is, how do we grow as a disciple of Jesus Christ, Right? And then as we grow, how do we help others grow? So that's going to be the way this, this text is going to flow. We're first going to look at Timothy. This is what you are to do, meaning this is what we are to do. And then this is how you apply that to others. So it's, very, it's going to be very straightforward how we do this. And number th one thing that we see is that when we're training for personal godliness, we commit to God's word. God's word is central to everything that we do. It was through obedience to God's word that Adam and Eve pleased God, experienced his presence, and it was through the disobedience of his word that they were removed from his presence. If you look at verse 6, it says, if you put these things before the brothers, well, what are, what are these things? Well, uh, he's talking about uh, godliness, the gospel, which is what we would see in verses 14 through 16 of chapter 3, and then chapter, uh, verses 1 through 5, he's talking about false teaching, and so he's saying, look, if you will tell the church how to live in godliness, and if you will correct any false doctrine, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, but how is Timothy going to do that? Well, it's going to be because he's being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. So the way that we are to grow as a disciple is by committing to God's word, that we would know God's word, that we would know the gospel and how to live as he has called us to. God's word is to be the diet uh, of a believer. Romans 10 says that our faith comes from the hearing of God's word. In Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus is, is uh, rebuking Satan you know, in, in uh, the wilderness, he says, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The word of God is to be the very food that nourishes our soul. Paul then says in verse 7, as you must feast on God's word, you must have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Irreverent means worthless, and silly myths refers to old wives' tales. So this is what you eat. You eat the word of God. This is, this is what you feed on, Timothy. Timothy. These other things that you're hearing in the world, 
That's not what we partake of. That's not what we eat. That's not the thing that's going to nourish our soul. I think we just had the Olympics uh, last month. Olympic athletes watch what goes into their body. You don't see them the night before. Uh, you don't see what Michael Phelps getting before he swims, you know, eating Twinkies, brownies, Tootsie Rolls. He avoids that junk. He probably does it after he swims, but not before he swims. He eats what benefits him, what will strengthen him, what will give him energy. And that's how we approach God's word. We come to God's word so that it will train us, that it will nourish us, that it will feed us, that we will know how to live. There, there is no godliness apart from the word of God. So I, I want to ask you, how is it that you are prioritizing God's word in your life? I want you to think about that. I talk to a lot of Christians a lot of times, and, and we have a lot of reasons for, well, I'm not really in the word right now. Well, I've gotten kind of busy. Well, I'm kind of in this transition stage in my life. Um, but what we see in God's word is that God uses his word that we would grow in godliness. So if we're not nourishing our soul on his word, then our souls are not growing in godliness. So I want to ask you, how are you growing right now? Look, having a quiet time, spending time in God's word is not um, an optional thing. It's not one of those things that was just thought of by some guy. Hey, this might be a good idea. But what we see all throughout the word of God is that obedience to his word is how we worship God. And the only way we can worship God is if we know his word. What I, what I regularly tell people is that, look, God's word is not going to tell you what to do in every situation. So if you're looking at which house do I buy, which job do I take, which girl do I marry, you know what I mean? Whatever your question is, well, that might be a weird one, that last one. But um, God's word doesn't tell you the answers to those in explicit ways. But what it does is it forms you into the type of person that thinks like Jesus so that you do know how to approach those situations and make right godly decisions. This is why when, when someone, when we're in crisis mode, a lot of times we'll see people digging into God's word. That's good. That's kind of like the person drowning trying to learn how to swim real quick. Like it just, it's, it's hard that way. But what you want to do is you want to be the one who's training your entire life. So when these situations come, you know how to respond. You want to know how to swim. So that way when you're in the water, you know how to swim. God's word will form your character into that of Jesus. And so I really want to encourage you, how are you reading God's word? I pray that this is not the only time you eat. I hope most of you don't eat once a week. I don't think we do that with physical food. And our spiritual food should be no different. We should come to that regularly every day. So I just want to encourage you. Um, we have Bible reading plans. There's two sets of Bible reading plans out on the ministry's table. Um, grab one of those today. They're simply tools just to say, hey, here's a way to go through God's word. I encourage you, let this be a time where we gather to, to uh, listen to God's word. But then it's good to read God's word by yourself, to study, and to then also meet with others. Now, Paul is not telling Timothy, all you got to do is read. If you just read, you're good. He's not saying just skim the word. He's, he wants him to study it, to know it, to apply it. And so therefore, we see the next point. We are to apply God's word. Look at verse 7. Paul says, um, rather, train yourself for godliness. 
The word train is where we get the word gymnasium. The Greeks love sports. Athletes would train hard in order to perform well in their events. And so Paul is saying, just as athletes, just as the Greeks will, will train hard and they will do well in their events, so we are to train hard in God's word. So we, we read it and then we, we look at how do we apply it. Verse 10 says, we toil and strive. I think there's a lot of people and we think the Christian life is just that easy life. It's kind of like a walk in the park. Those aren't the words that Paul uses. He says, we toil, we strive. It takes hard work. It is effort. It's diligence. It takes sweat and tears to grow in godliness. It's not a walk through the park. There's times it feels just easy, but if you've been a Christian for more than a year, more than six months, you know that there are difficulties in the Christian walk. And so in order... To continue to grow in godliness, we must train. We toil, we strive, we come to God's word. We look at what it says and we say, how do I apply this to my life? In situation that we've been reading in, Paul says, look, God has appointed godly elders to lead the church. It would be inappropriate then for a church to say, we don't need leaders. We don't need elders. That'd be a, a wrong understanding of God's word. But we look and say, this is what it is, therefore, this is how we are to be structured. These are the type of leaders that we're to have. To be trained in godliness, we need others to hold us accountable, to look into our lives and let us know where we are strong and where we are weak. I want to encourage you, how, are you, how have you been applying God's word lately? If I was to come to you and ask you, um, what's God been showing you in your word? What sin has he exposed in his word or by his word in your life lately? Or what, what victories have you been experiencing because of God's word in your life? Would you be able to respond to that? Or would you say, well, I'm not really sure. Like, how are you applying God's word? When we come to God's word, it's always going to be speaking to us, and it's always going to be revealing who God is. It's going to be encouraging us, but also correcting us. There's a large difference uh, between the athlete on the playground and the athlete in the Olympics, right? There's a large difference. The playground athlete plays when he wants, right? Gets up, he's like, oh, I feel like playing tetherball today, or whatever it is, and he goes and he does that. But the Olympic athlete, he trains hard each and every day, even when he doesn't want to get up. He doesn't allow his emotion to trump his obedience. And I think that's something that happens a lot within the church. Uh, so often we'll hear people say, I'm just not really feeling like praying right now. I don't know that I really want to read God's word right now. I want you to think about, we've just gone through the Olympics. The one who gets the gold medal is not the one who says, well, I just didn't really feel like training very much. And so I only trained on the days I wanted to. There's days that I wake up and I love reading God's word. And there's days my alarm goes off and I'm like, ah, I really love my pillow. But what do we do at that moment? What do we do at that moment when we say, I'd really just like to not. I'd like to stay in bed. I'd like just to watch TV. I'd like to do something else. And those other things may not, might not be bad things, but are we training ourselves in godliness? We have to be careful that our emotions don't trump our obedience. God says the way you nourish your soul, the way you feed your soul is through the word of God and by applying it. Therefore, how are we 
doing that. And we must be careful because we don't want to then think that training in God's Word is some emotionless just type of activity that we, we do. Well, you're a Christian, so read the Word. Suck it up. Nobody likes it, but that's just what we do. Like, have you ever thought that's what quiet times are like? Got to go to church on Sunday morning. Got to go hear the sermon because that's, that's what we do. Have you ever thought that way? Yeah, you probably have. You're all like, do we nod yes? Is that wrong at this moment to nod yes? I think a lot of times that's how it's been communicated, and sometimes maybe that's the way it needs to be communicated, but I think uh, there's a danger there that we think, well, but I don't really like it. I mean, is there anything really good there? This is why Paul gives us verse 8. Look at verse 8. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. So the word some value means small. It means kind of insignificant. Every way means complete, large, abundant. So he's like, look, you go to the gym, which I go to the gym, and it's, it's some value. It's not worthless to go to the gym, but it's only good for a few things. Godliness. It's a value in every single way because it affects the way you're at the gym. It affects the way when you come home and respond to your kids. It affects the way you respond to your wife, how you gather with the church, what you do when you get fired from your job. How do you handle having abundance of money or little money? It affects every aspect of your life. Godliness is of value in every way. And so then he says, just so we don't miss it, it has value in every way. It holds promise for the present life, meaning right now, and also for the life to come. So we don't just have to say, I know God's word is good because, I mean, it gets me into heaven, and that's good. And that is a good thing, right? Obedience to God's word, salvation by grace, which we read in God's word. But he says, look, it'll benefit you today. Do you realize that? Every time you're opening the word of God and you're reading it and applying it, God's word is benefiting you at that moment and preparing you and changing you more into the image of Jesus. Do you realize that? Every time you're in the Word, 2 Corinthians 3.18 talks about how we're changed from degree by degree by degree by degree. Into what? Into the image of? How do you think that happens? Through the knowledge and application of His Word. That's how we're changed. That's how we grow. So what are some present day benefits? And we can make a list. We can make a very long list. Number one, assurance of salvation. Go read 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 10 or 12. It will talk about growing in godliness, and you will have assurance of your salvation. Because what? Do our, does our works save us? No, but they give evidence to what? To our salvation, to our faith. Because our faith will produce fruit. If you have fruit... You can have evidence of your faith. It also will give us experiencing the joy of Christ. As we become more like Jesus, God is full of joy. And as we become more like him, we become full of joy. We realize even more that we're forgiven, that we're adopted into God's family right now. We realize that we have all spiritual blessings now. As we train ourselves for godliness, we become more like Jesus, that we taste the joy of Jesus. Number three, we will grow in things like love, peace, patience, self-control. 
We'll love people more. We'll love our families more. We'll love our coworkers more. You ever have struggle loving your kids? You know what helps that? God's word. Because it changes us to be more like Jesus. You ever have a problem with a coworker? And you're like, man, God, help me to love that coworker. How do you think God's going to do that? Through the knowledge of his word and applying that in your life. It's through God's word that he changes us that we'd grow in love and peace. Because why? Because we're looking at Jesus and how he loves us. And how the peace that Jesus has, now we have. How his patience is now our patience. And godliness will also benefit others. God will use your godliness to spur others on in their godliness. And what we're going to look at is that our godliness is used for the salvation of us and others. And that might sound confusing, and we'll unpack that in a few moments. But if you go to verse 16, he says, Keep close watch on yourself and on the teaching Persist in this, meaning persist in this growth in godliness and in everything that we're talking about, Timothy, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So here's the quick thing. By your godliness, not only are you saved, but also others are saved. And so we'll look at that because that might be confusing at this moment, thinking, well, do we save people? So we'll, we'll get to that, but we're just looking at benefits right now. Your godliness leads to salvation and the salvation of others. And so we'll unpack that just not yet. Um, there's eternal benefits. There's the joy of being with Christ forever. You ever look at the world and go, there's a lot of sin, suffering, pain here. There's a lot of just wrong things that are happening in this world. And do you ever hope that there was a better world? That, that's the joy. That's what we look forward to, right? To not having to go through an election like we're about to go through. We're like, ah, which one's better, Right? To being able to look at the world and knowing that there is love and joy and peace and patience abounding in all the world. That's the joy that we have because we know there's a day coming when Jesus returns that will end all pain, all suffering, and all sin. And I also already looked at, um, we talked about verse 16, um, our salvation and the salvation of others, the assurance of our salvation, and the fact that others will be saved also. Um, and we'll look at that in a few minutes. When we come to God's word, we're coming for the nourishment of our soul and for how it conforms us to live like Jesus, that we would please him. And there is value every day, now and for all of eternity. And then what Paul does in each section, he's going to now, at the verse 10, we're going to end by looking at the gospel. And then we're also going to do that kind of um, at the end in verse 16, where again he mentions the gospel um, he says um, for the, to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the savior of all people especially of those who believe um, so Paul is reminding us that as we grow in godliness that we um, are not doing so so that we become saved it is not through your efforts in godliness that you become saved it is not through your works that you become more worthy of Jesus. And he says, wow, I'm really glad I have you on my team. Or you look really good, therefore I choose you. But what we have is, for to this end, we, talk, we work hard because we have our hope set on the living God 
who is the Savior of all people, and then he qualifies that. What does it mean he's the Savior of all people? We know not all people go to heaven, so he says, especially of those who believe. So the word especially works there to show who are the all people, all of those who believe. And so what the point is, is that we can work hard in godliness, not because we're trying to be saved, but because we have our confidence in the God who does save all who believe in him. Does that make sense? We're not, we're not striving to become acceptable. We've been made acceptable by the grace of God. Therefore, we can work hard and we can have joy in that. That's a huge difference. Uh, Catholicism, uh, Mormonism, Jehovah Witness, they all look to live in a certain way that they would then become acceptable. But God's word says we're saved by grace and we now have the hope of the living God who does save all who believe. So if we believe, we know that we are saved. And so this command to live in godliness is not to be a burden that says, good luck. If you do it well, you'll be saved. But rather, you can work hard because you've been saved. Now you have the opportunity to live like Jesus. And so now he's going to then go into 11 to 16 on what does this look like as we train others. And this is very much the flow of the Christian life. You have been saved to live a godly life that you would then help others live in godliness, right? And that's the whole make disciples who make disciples. You become a disciple that then you would teach other people the word of God, that they would become disciples and that they would live like Jesus who would then make disciples who would then make disciples. So the flow that we have here in chapter 4 is very much the Christian life. And if you look at it, he says in verse 11, command and teach these things. What things? Read the word and apply it. That's what he's saying. Teach these things, Timothy. Your congregation needs to know. You read God's word and you apply God's word. You train God's word. And then he says, he tells Timothy how we teach godliness through our life. And what we see in verse 12, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. Timothy's probably in his 30s right now. This is about 15 years or so later from when he probably first ran into Paul in Paul's second uh, missionary journey. Now he's about 32, 33 maybe. That's what many commentators suggest. And so he is not an older elder within the church. There are many men who would be older in their upper 40s and 50s who would normally be consult- called the elders. So Timothy's there and he's like, they don't even, how do, I, how do I relate to these guys? How do I connect with these guys? They're all, they're all looking down on me. Maybe he has some confidence struggles. And he says, so Timothy, this is what you do. You want to go in there. You want to start bossing them around. All right, you need to let them know who's boss from the beginning. Don't take anything from them. No, that's not what he says, is it? He says, be an example of godliness. Show them your love. Show them um, your conduct in love and faith and purity and speech. Let your life be an example to these men. One of the, um, there's a, a quote from a theologian who says, you know, the most powerful sermon a pastor can give is, is his life. And I think this gives testimony to that. The way we give evidence to others of the gospel is, is by our life. The way that you communicate the gospel is through your words and through your actions. Um, I want to encourage you, your life communicates the gospel. It communicates what you believe about God. Do you know that? 
just think about how you're living. The way you live right now, the way you've lived this past week, this past month, this past year, it all communicates to those who watch you who you worship and what your God is like. I want to encourage you, parents, how do you use your words? How do you teach purity through the things you watch on TV with your kids? You ever think about that? Sometimes we just let our kids watch anything, but how do we teach them purity through what we watch and what we don't watch? How does our, our neighbors and our spouse, how are, them, how are they seeing that we depend upon the Spirit so that we would be full of love and good speech and be pure in all things? We teach godliness also through God's word. That's what Paul, Paul goes to in verse 13. He says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. So notice the flow. Timothy, this is how you grow in godliness. Read the word and apply it. Now he's saying, this is how you teach godliness to others. Live a godly life that they would see it and use the word. It's the very same thing that he's supposed to do in his own personal life. He's supposed to read God's word and apply it, and then you live your life in front of others, and you teach them the word of God. It's the very same thing that he does in his own self. We don't come up with new creative ways to make disciples or to become godly. We do the very things that make us godly. Read God's word and apply it. Therefore, then we show other people our life, which is being trained in godliness, and help them see God's word. Now, I've talked to a lot of Christians, I've talked to many of you, and many of you say, well, I could never really teach God's Word. Do you ever feel like that? Ever feel? Remember the Great Commission, that God has told us to go into all nations that we would, what? Make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, teaching them everything that I've commanded you. I think I butchered it a little bit, but teaching everything that I've commanded you. You have all been given the Spirit, we have all been given the Spirit that we would be able to tell others the gospel. You have the Spirit in you that you can tell others the gospel. Now, you might not do so in a formal setting like this, up here on a stage, and that's fine. Maybe you do it in a coffee shop. Maybe you do it with your children. Maybe you do it as Janet does at CareNet and use interpreters on 1-800 numbers. Uh, that seems to work pretty effectively. But we're called to, we all have the opportunity to share the gospel. And you can do it because the Spirit's in you. I really want you to just have, just have confidence. The same spirit who brought all of creation into existence lives in you that you would be able to share the gospel. And Paul, possibly even Timothy, wrestled with confidence at times, which is then why in verse 14 Paul says, don't neglect the gift you've been given. Use your gift, Timothy, and you have been gifted also. Let us not neglect the gifts that we've been given. You've been given the gift of the Spirit, that you would be full of the fruit of the Spirit, that His Spirit would be in you, and that you would be able to tell others the gospel. That you would do, like what we see at CareNet Ministries, or how I love Peggy, who she retires from teaching, and then she volunteers at the same school she worked at now for free. And she's still loving on children to tell them more about Jesus. I mean, isn't that an awesome story? Like, Peggy, you're an amazing example of what it is to live a godly life. Like, you teach... God's word in all of your life. So if you're a believer, know that you've been gifted. You've been gifted by God. That you'd be able to show others the gospel. And in verse 15, Paul again, he turns a little bit to Timothy, and he says, practice these things. What things? 
Everything he's been talking about. Read God's word. Apply it to yourself. Read God's word to others. Live a godly life in front of others. Let people see you progress. Do you know that we're to be progressing in our salvation and it should be evident? I want to encourage you. I think this is, when I read this, I think this is one thing that we can grow in as a church. I think we do a good job um, talking to each other and encouraging each other over very simple things. Um, but I want to encourage us, let us be people who encourage each other because we see each other growing and progressing in the gospel. When's the last time you've walked up to someone and said, hey, I really see God's love shining through you because of, and then list something that they've done. I think that's an area for us to grow in. I think we do it okay, but I think, I think we can grow in that area where we really look at areas in each other's lives on how are we growing in the gospel? How can we encourage one another all the more? And then verse 16, we end with, again, uh, a focus on the gospel. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So there's a warning here and a reward. The warning is we must watch ourselves. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Because salvation is at stake. And again, let me remind you, false teachers have come into to Ephesus. They teach a false doctrine and therefore tell people to live in ungodliness. What is the result of, of believing false doctrine and living in ungodliness? Condemnation, right? It's not a reward. It's going to be leading into punishment. And so just as the false teachers have come advocating a false doctrine, advocating a false um, or ungodly lifestyle, therefore we are to teach true doctrine and to set an example of godliness that we would lead people towards the gospel through our words and actions. That's what's being communicated here. We see that in 1 Timothy 4.1. Some will depart from the faith, devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons. 1 Timothy 6, verse 20. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Ungodliness will lead others into ungodliness. So then Paul is saying, watch yourself. Don't lead others into ungodliness. Don't yourself go into ungodliness. But stay true to the word. Apply it to your life that you would lead others to the word. They would apply it and that you will reap salvation. Again, it's not that we are the basis of anyone's salvation. We are saved by grace through faith alone. But God will use you and me and our lives as a means of communicating the gospel. And then there's the reward. Look at verse 16, the second half. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. There's the promise. There's the confidence. All who believe in Jesus are saved. By living a godly life, we have confidence of our salvation. It's the same logic that Peter uses in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their lives. So, by the conduct of their wives. It's through our conduct, through our words and our actions, that we show each other the gospel. And that we would experience salvation with them. So I want to again encourage you, um, 
God uses us as a means of communicating through the, the gospel that through our lives and actions, we and others would be saved. Not that we are the basis of our salvation, but that God uses us as a means of communicating the gospel. Um, so what does this mean for elders? Let me just give three quick points. If we're to be appointing elders, if we're to have elders who lead the church, um, number one, elders need to know the word, right? Elders need to know the word. If we're going to have men who are leading the church in godliness, the first thing is their souls have to be nourished by the word. Number two, elders diligently strive to grow in godliness, meaning we're trying to apply God's word on a regular basis. Whenever you ask an elder what's going on in their life or, or what God is doing in their life, they should be able to answer that. Well, God is doing this in my life. God has revealed this in my life. God is leading me to this. If you get a blank stare, that should be a little bit of a red flag going, well, why is God not doing anything in their life? Because remember, every time we open God's word, he's communicating his love and his gospel to us that we would live more like Jesus. So elders should be diligently striving to grow in godliness. And then number three, elders desire to train others in godliness. Just as Timothy, Timothy, grow in godliness so you would, use, so you would train others. As elders, we're to train in godliness so that others would be trained in godliness. And really, we're just setting an example for the church, right? Because what are we all to do? Grow in godliness that we would all then be used to train others in godliness. So it's the mission of all of us. Elders just kind of are in front leading the charge, saying, we're trying to do this and set an example in front of the church, which is why Paul says, imitate me just as I imitate Christ, which is why we say imitate me as elders, not that we are perfect, but we're striving to live like Jesus and set an example to the church of what it is to know God's word and to apply God's word. And so when we're looking at elders, those are the very things, um, or those are some of the very things that we should be looking at and thinking about. And so I want to again encourage you men, I want to be encouraging you, grow in the knowledge of God's word diligently apply it to your life this is the very calling we went back first timothy chapter 3 verse 1 it is a noble task to be an elder it is a no it's a good task it's something that it's good to strive for and so i want to encourage you men to be living in godliness and training in godliness that you would be used greatly within the church as an example for us to follow of what it looks like to live for jesus and again, we do all this not as a means of being saved, but because we are saved. And so therefore, we're going to go into communion now where we celebrate the work of Jesus. And so I want to go ahead and